Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. You guys, hello. St. Patrick's Day is a very big holiday in our house. The Stockmans go crazy because we dress up for Daddy's birthday. Yep. So here I am. I didn't have green pants, but if I did, I would have worn them. Well, good. I'm excited to be together. Uh, we're going to be in Second Chronicles 20. And, you know, uh, most of the time I just share whatever's bubbling up in my heart. Um, you know, I heard Bill Johnson say a long time ago, we never study to teach We study to be transformed, and out of the overflow of our heart, we speak. And I just kind of adopted that as my own. Um, But, you know, this morning feels different to me. I I felt for the last couple weeks I just really have a word from the Lord for us. So I've been a little bit shaking in my bones when I think about it. But this is, this is a word for us, Bethel, Atlanta. So as you listen, I, I just want you to receive it as this is a personal word from the Father for you. Okay? So Second Chronicles 20, uh, we're going to talk about Jehoshaphat, which I always just feel a little disrespectful saying his name. You know, like Jehosa Skinny. Jehoshaphat, you know, Jehosa healthy. I don't know, Jehoshaphat just feels so rude, you know, but it's in the Bible, so there's no change in it. So it starts off with, with after this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Menunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And basically, the story is starting out that the after this is that the chapters before, Jehoshaphat, like, barely made it out of his process alive. Has anybody ever had an after this? And you wake up in the morning, and you find out there's not one nation that's coming against you, but there's several nations coming against you. And after this, after Jehoshaphat barely makes it out of his process alive, he wakes up to the news that several nations are already in his land surrounding him. And it says in verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. So normally what happens when we step into an after this and you get really bad news, we get afraid. That's what happens to me. I I feel afraid. (laughs) And, you know, it's not wrong or shameful to feel afraid. But what we do with our fear in that moment is what sets the course for the rest of the story. And this is what Jehoshaphat did with his fear. It says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. 
<laughs> he set his face. He said, this is what, this is what we're going to do. As the leader of this nation, when we feel afraid, I'm going to model what we do with fear. We set our face to seek the Lord. We don't change our posture. We don't get more feedback about how big the enemy is, how large the enemy is, where the enemy is. We set our feet down. We make a statement and we seek the Lord. So he gathered the entire nation together to pray and fast. And it says, and all of Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he began to pray. And he said, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And Jehoshaphat is giving himself some good information. You know, he, he isn't first in the prayer feeling sorry for himself. He's not first feeling sorry for everybody in the room. He's lifting his eyes to heaven. And he's saying, remember who your God is. Look in his hand. In his hand is power and might. No one is able to stop you. And, you know, I love, I love the definition of hopelessness that the Backlands, you know, say often. is like the root of hopelessness is that you've lost sight of an all powerful, supernatural God. And when we reduce God to the level of our circumstances, we forget what is in his hand. And, you know, there's all sorts of stuff about don't look for his hand, look for his face. But his hand has really good information as well. Like we've been inscribed in the palm of the hand of the person of power, of the person of might. And sometimes when you've gotten the worst news of your life, when you've gotten the scariest news of your life, we've got to run to remind ourselves that we don't have a human God. That we don't have a God that fights on the same battleground that we fight on. That we have a God who has no rival. We have a God who holds stars in his hand. We have a God who spoke one word and poof, here we are. Our God is so much higher than any realm of human living that we could ever think or imagine. We have an all-powerful God. And in front of the entire assembly, Jehoshaphat is reminding the people of God who live in Jerusalem. They live in the city of God. They live in the presence of God. Mount Zion was in Jerusalem. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? It's these people living in the presence of God. And he's reminding them, hey, your God has no rival. Look in his hand. Keep hope alive. And his prayer continues where he's reminding God about Abraham, his friend. Do you remember you promised this land to your friend, this land that we're living on. This is our inheritance because of your friend, Abraham. And he's putting a stake in the ground and he's saying, trespassing is not normal. 
violation of what rightly belongs to us is not normal. And, you know, he, he is calling the people of God to a standard. And he, he goes on in this beautiful pair, and he says, we are powerless against this great horde. It's like nations. We're powerless. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Look at that, verse 12. This is like the main verse you keep in your pocket for parenting. (laughs) You know, pull it out a few times a day. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. (laughs) And it's a completely legal prayer. It's a completely legal prayer to love the feeling of I'm helpless without you. (laughs) I'm powerless without you. I get to boast in my weakness because I love the unveiling of your strength. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love for the wind of God to blow through my life as a reminder. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's our greatest place of rejoicing when we need a God who is bigger than us. It's our greatest place of joy when we're in a situation where we need a God who cares for us. (laughs) We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, in verse 13, while he's praying, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And you know, this, this verse just struck me because they all gathered to seek the Lord and they didn't hide the kids away in a bunker. (laughs) this is terrifying let's make sure our children are removed from this situation they didn't they didn't hide the older generation away in a bunker and say you're too fragile for a battle like this that when our main objective in this life in this war that we've been born into is to seek the Lord, that we seek first his kingdom and all these other things are going to be added unto us. There is no one left out when that is our strategy. From the oldest in the room to the youngest in the room, we all have a place before the face of God. You don't have to be the most anointed to be included. You don't have to be the most seasoned. You don't have to be the wisest. You don't have to be the most charismatic. That everyone was called into Jerusalem to seek the Lord. And you know, the I love the thought of the children being invited into the story. And, you know, sometimes just even as a mom, you can have these thoughts like, oh, man, I just don't want to set them up for disappointment. Maybe we should just wait until the story's over to include them. (laughs) (laughs) And what I love about this generation modeling The children are invited. Everyone is invited into this story and everyone is needed. Every prayer is needed. Every single face is needed. And, you know, when we isolate parts of this living generation, when we isolate our children out of of fear of them being disappointed, 
We've elevated disappointment above our God. We, we've treated it like a God to be feared. That disappointment is a spirit to be revered. And you better protect your kids. You better hide the ones you love because they might end this battle feeling disappointed. And you know what it does is it lowers the standard. Every child in that circle was seeing it's not normal for our land to be violated. It's not normal for the standard to be violated. I'm learning how to respond to the enemy because I'm watching fathers and mothers in the faith take their stand. And, you know, it, it says, it goes on, as they're all gathered, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. And, you know, as I read commentaries, many of them were saying, he, he maybe never prophesied a day in his life. He wasn't like a revered prophet in this community. But the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he was just one of the people in the crowd. And he, he shouts out a response to all their praying and fasting from the Lord. It says the spirit of God came upon him in verse 15. And it says, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, he's telling the king, listen to what I'm about to say. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow we go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow we go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And they, they, lift, they lifted up their voices with a very loud voice. And, you know, it just stopped me in the tracks of how much does it take for us to respond to the word of the Lord? That do we put as much weight on a stranger who doesn't have a title, who doesn't have a known reputation, that he's just one in the crowd facing the, the, the greatest horde of nations coming against them. And they're trusting that what this man is saying is the true and tested word of God. And Jehoshaphat humbles himself, falls down on his face, and they all worship in that moment and start lifting up gratitude. They start lifting up thanks as if it's already happened. And, you know, I feel the call to the next level of risk on the word of the Lord. That how much does it take us to change our posture in a situation by one tiny whisper? One, one tiny coincidence, one tiny word of prophecy from, from a person that you're like, well, was that real? I don't know. That, that how tender and humble our hearts are when we can respond in 
extravagant gratitude and extravagant worship from one word from the Lord and live like this changes everything in this battle. What you just said changes everything about my posture. And, you know, it, it goes in and in verse 20, and it says, and they rose early in the morning and went into the wilderness. The very place that he said the enemy was going to be, they rose early in the morning and headed straight for the enemy's camp. And, you know, when you've come out of an after this season and you barely came out alive, whether disappointment almost took you out, sickness almost took you out, whatever it is, the, the reality that we wake up in new mercy every single morning has to become the prize of our life. Because without new mercy, we're bringing in a standard from yesterday. And every single day, we are aligning our standard to the perfection of Jesus. And if we're not waking up every morning with the standard that Jesus has won absolute victory, then our lens will be tainted by the losses of yesterday. Our lens will be tainted by the exhaustion of yesterday. And, you know, Graham Cook has a phenomenal word out right now if you just YouTube Graham Cook, Wild Love. He gives like a 45-minute prophetic word. And in it, he talks about one of the greatest strategies of the enemy is that you would bring in stress from yesterday into today. That you would bring in anxiety from yesterday into today. That you would bring in disappointment from yesterday into today. When your portion inside of Jesus is brand new mercy today. That there is a well of mercy available for me today that wasn't available yesterday. It's not going to be available tomorrow. And that mercy is washing over everything that is not. That mercy is realigning my grid to the standard of heaven, the standard of absolute victory in Jesus. And they woke up in the morning and responded instantly to the word of the Lord. And they, they headed into the wilderness and Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. And, you know, this is, this is a king laying down every ounce of human logic, every ounce of human reason, and he is charging them this is our strategy. This is plan A. And there is no plan B. We're going to believe God. We're going to believe God. And, you know, Jesus would step onto the scene and answer Pharisees. What is the work we can do unto eternal life? And what would he say? Believe in me. Believe in me. This is the work of eternity to believe in me.
And, you know, Jehoshaphat is charging the people of God in this battle. This is our strategy. This is the way we will win this war. We're going to believe in our God. And he arranges the worship leaders, the singers, to go in front of the warriors, the ones with the guns and stuff. And, you know, in that moment, you got, you got to wonder how the worship leaders felt about this type of promotion, you know? <laughs> like, you, out of everybody, I'm picking you, you know? And that means you're the first one to see the battle scene, that you're the first one to make eye contact with the enemy. And, you know, the, we have a littlest daughter who wants to be Vanessa Hale. You know, and she thinks she could be Vanessa Hale today. And who wouldn't want their little girl to look up to Vanessa Hale? I mean, it just thrills my heart. But listen, I have to let her know. Uh, Vanessa Hale didn't become a worship leader on a stage. <laughs> listen, worship leaders aren't made on stages with microphones. There is years of heading straight into a battlefield, being on the front lines, because worship leaders are made in the dark night of the soul. Worship leaders learn how to lead with a song. Worship leaders learn how to head to the battlefield anointed with a tongue that's on fire for Jesus. And you know, the, the song that they began to sing was give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And they, they began to sing over and over about the nature of their God. They set the nature of their God as their most valuable weapon in this battle. And, you know, they weren't singing we are mighty warriors. We are more than overcomers. We, we, we. You know, that, that, that. It is impossible to discover who you really are in the real war without first seeking your God with everything you've got. And in a generation where self-discovery Pursuing our identity is rightfully being resurrected. We cannot forget. It will be impossible from now all the way through eternity to ever discover who we really are without first seeking our God with everything we've got. And when you seek him first, the, all these things being added unto you about discovering your proper identity follows discovering the nature of your God. And we don't head into battle because of who we are. Oh, man, that will never keep you through the night. <laughs> we head into battle because of who he is. We head into battle about a song of confidence. This is our God. His steadfast love never loses. His steadfast love never stops. It never falls down. It never gets tired. And, you know, it says in verse 22, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against all of these nations. <laughs> and, and they 
began to destroy one another. And, you know, I was reading a commentary by Spurgeon, and he was saying it's very possible with a company of people this large that the enemy could actually hear their song. Can you imagine the confusion when it sounds like they're headed to a wedding feast? It sounds like they're headed to a celebration. How, how sobering when you're the enemy and there's that kind of confidence and joy and gratitude coming out of the people that you were sent to annihilate. And they're heading up the mountain. They're heading into the battle with a song of gratitude on their lips, with a song of praise on their lips. And they're reminding themselves and they're reminding their enemy, we know who our God is. And, you know, the, they head up into the wilderness. And, you know, this is the thing about standing still. This battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. You actually have to show up to the battle. You know, it's not like, all right, you go hide in the tabernacle, and then we'll send news when we find out what God did. <laughs> it's like, that isn't wisdom. That's fear. And, you know, the reason you show up to the battle is to get a, f a first peek at what your God did. And, you know, the, the temptation to withdraw, when we hear the sounds of an enemy surrounding us on every side, I'm just going to let God deal with this. I'm going to wait here, and I'm going to let God take care of it. He's going to fight on my behalf. No, you're... You, your confidence is moving directly to where the enemy is because the prophet told you, hey, he's in this corner up here. And your assignment is to head straight for the land that has been violated. Hey, the enemy is within our camp. We don't just stay here and sing our song. We go there and sing our song. And we come up the hill with a statement, with a weapon in our tongue that says, hey, not on our watch. Not on our watch. This is our inheritance. And they, they head up the hill of the Lord singing a song like they're going to a wedding feast. And Judah came to the watchtower in verse 24. And they looked towards the horde of people. And behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. And none had escaped. And if you could just imagine getting up to the place where you could see, not knowing, honestly, how he was going to do it. He, he, they just said, he's, he's going to take care of it for you. What does that mean? You know, there's, there's not always a line by line. When he says, I'm going to take care of your enemy, he doesn't do it the same every time. And very rarely does it pay out according to our expectation. And hanging on to the nature of God and hanging on to our idea of victory is two totally different things. When we hang on to the nature of God, there's a song in our heart that says, I don't care how you do it. It doesn't matter how it gets done. I just know it will. I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know how many years I'm going to be singing this song. But when I get to the top of this hill, I know he will do it. And they got to the top of the hill. And there was not one 
enemy remaining. Every single enemy was defeated. And Jehoshaphat in verse 25 And his people came to take their spoil, and they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things when they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. And they they named the valley the Valley of Blessing. And, you know... Here's, here's the most terrifying thing about you not showing up on the mountain with a song in your heart is that you miss out on realizing the heart of God isn't just to defeat your enemy. The heart of God isn't just that depression in your life would be silenced. That anxiety in your life would no longer have a grip. The heart of God is that everything that was sent to torment you That it would take you three days to carry out the spoil of recompense. You know, the Bible says, I am the Lord God and I hate robbery. (laughs) And you know, who else do we know that spent three days taking back the spoil of the enemy? Who else do we know that went into the depths of hell and took back every key that for generations there had been violation after violation of the standard of love, of the standard of heaven, and he took his time getting back what had been stolen. He took laps around darkness until every single wicked thing was placed under his feet. And you know, we are living in an hour of history where every voice in this room is needed. From the littlest in the room to the oldest in the room that, you know, we ha- we are putting a stake in the ground that says disease is not normal. And we need to watch our children run to the line. We need to invite them into the process and say, Jesus Christ is absolute victory. That we're putting a stake in the ground that says depression is not normal. It's not normal that an enemy would break through the borderlines of your inheritance and steal your joy. And we're running out to the point of devastation and saying, I'm meeting my enemy with a song right here. That sexual confusion, it is not normal. It is a violation of our inheritance, of the image of a perfect God we've been created in. Listen, we're running out to the line. We're saying killing babies. It's not normal. It's not normal. It is a violation of who we've been created to be. And we need the oldest in the room to meet us on that line. We need the youngest in the room to meet us on that line. And we need new mercy every morning to constantly be restoring the standard. Because, listen, we don't learn about the nature of God by studying our circumstance. I've been depressed for for five years now, and it's starting to wear me so down that I I have begun to live like this is normal, like this is the lot in my life. And some of us fought battles with all of our heart, and the reality is we lost, and we're in our after this season, and we have to decide, am I going to let my circumstances 
is that we never discover the gratitude that his only motive towards his people is good. It is kind that his thoughts for his people outnumber the sand on the seashore. That when he went to the cross, he had every evil thing that would want to torment you on his mind. And he won complete victory. And we don't learn the nature of God by studying our enemy, by studying what went wrong. And, and we move towards the war looking for his goodness. No, we start in a song about his goodness. We start inside every morning with a thankful heart because we know who he is. Because we have a standard that's bigger than any natural realm. We study his nature inside of his presence. And from there, we move to violation. We move towards our circumstance. And we live with this mandate on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we, we are being equipped and sent out from Jesus Christ himself to go and do greater works than I did on the earth. Go with the same mandate. Manifest the Father. Manifest his perfection. Manifest his goodness. Don't be an informer on the facts. Anybody can inform. Well, you know, there's not just one nation surrounding us. You know, there's so much impossibility everywhere. Well, you know, what happened to my aunt's aunt was that ended terrible. And, you know, what happened to me five years ago. And, and we become an informer on what the enemy is doing. We, come in, we become an expert on what is being stolen from a generation. And, and the Lord is calling us to be an informer on what he is doing. Be an informer on who he is. Tell them I'm good. Tell them my love never ceases. Tell them I've anointed them to inform depression about what's coming their way. Tell them to inform anxiety about the prince of peace. And, and you know, they stood at the watchtower and they looked out at a battlefield that was completely defeated by the song in their heart. And, you know, I used to think, I, I've loved this Bill Johnson quote for years. He says, the greatest tragedy in the Christian life are believers that wake up every day with no blood on their sword. And, you know, lately, I've been thinking, I used to just always think of that was the joy of defeating a devil. You know, like, that's like Christian recreation. When you're like, whoa, you, you tormented me for 20 years, and I thought you were my friend, you know. And you wake up one morning, and you realize, oh, shame isn't my portion, Oh, shame has actually been telling me to hide from this battle. Shame has been trying to hide me away in a bunker and steal my voice. And then you wake up one morning and you realize, wait a second, you're on my land. How did you get here? And then it just becomes recreation to plunder shame everywhere you go. <laughs> but listen, that's not the only blood on your sword. Because when you show up to a battle and you didn't have to kill a single devil, 
That is a good day in the kingdom. And it's a reminder of whose blood is on your sword. That, there, that the eternal blood of the lamb is still speaking. That the eternal perfect blood, when he was pierced through his side, is stained on your sword. And you just showing up terrifies your enemy so much so that they get confused and turn on themselves because listen our battle will never be against flesh and blood our battle is is not against people making abortion laws our battle is not against people who are rejecting us our our battle will never be against a human being our battle is against the spirit that has wrapped itself around an agenda to steal, kill, and destroy an entire generation. And he's starting by looking to back the people of God into a corner. You better be so afraid that you never come out again. You better be so afraid that you wait to sing your song. You better wait to lift up a shout because you better watch and see how this is actually going to go down. And he, he's backing us into a corner so we stop taking ground. Listen, the kingdom is within you. So everywhere you go, guess who just showed up? Perfect redemption. The at the heart of the kingdom is our king. And you know, you know who is terrified of our king? A spirit of depression, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of disease, a spirit of sickness. And you know, we don't have to muster up the courage to get up the hill. We got to find our song. We got to find that we have to say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our greatest, our greatest weapon is I believe in my God. And you know, in this season, in this house, I, I just see rejoicing over our enemy. And, you know, look, look at this. In verse 27, then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came back to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. And listen, in this kingdom, your starting place is rest and rejoicing. Your starting place is I, I rejoice over my enemies. And it's not just because you've gotten to higher ground that you rejoice over your enemy. It's because they're dead on the ground. It's because he annihilated the spirit of death. There is no sting anymore. You don't have to work harder to get higher than your enemy. He's dead on the ground. He, he's been completely annihilated because of the work of Jesus. All you have to do is change the song in your heart. And you realize, wow, 
my starting place in the person of Jesus is rest. And, you know, he came shouting down every street corner, hey, are you heavy laden? Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you exhausted? Hey, you're not disqualified. You're invited. If you're living below the standard of perfect peace, of perfect righteousness, you don't have to stay over there. You need to come closer. Come to me. Come to me. Don't let that become your normal. Come to me and I will give you rest. That the, the mark of the Christian life is rest on every side. It's rest on every side. And you know what? When I am invited into a battle, I show up with my rest. I show up with the song in my heart. And I was in worship the other day, and I had just come out of a, a hard conversation, you know, where it's challenging who I think I am. You know, you know these, these people learned in this battle. They're not just the type of people that win wars against nations. They're the type of people that turn wars into valleys of blessing. They're the type of people that turn fear into a song of gratitude. And they're the type of people that spend three days taking plunder back from the enemy's camp. And, you know, I... I'm in worship, and I keep seeing myself in this park. It's like a dog park. I don't even have a dog. And <laughs> Jesus is there, and he just, he just always looks so happy, you know. And he's throwing a Frisbee to a dog and just walking in a park. And I just had a super hard conversation. I'm confronting all sorts of limits in my soul. Like, I'm actually the type of person that has peace in hard conversations. <laughs> I'm actually the type of person that carries joy and when you have to tell the truth in love. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, wow, you look so happy at this park. I wonder what we're doing here. You know, <laughs> and he looks over at me and, and he says, I want your life to be a walk in the park. And my heart melted, and I say, I just want to be as carefree as you. And listen, living in rest inside his presence doesn't mean an absence of activity. It, it doesn't just mean, you know, that I'm not doing stuff. It means that I carry rest wherever I go, that I carry rest to any injustice I bump into, that I carry rest to any bad news I get, that any inconsistency with the standard of heaven, I show up like it's a walk in the park. So let's just go ahead and stand up. And, you know, the Psalm 47 is one of the songs that the people of God sang on their way back to Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, what a gift that we could actually tune our ear to what they were saying when they showed up to the battlefield and God himself had de destroyed every single one of their enemies. I just want to read it over you as we close. 
Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our God. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Why don't you just lift up a shout? That's our God. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.